So that noise that you listen to is a hailstorm. I'm in I'm in uh, I'm in LA. I'm in Venice Beach. I'm at a place called the Hotel Irwin. Very nice it is too. Thank you to Visit California and LA Tourism for hooking me up. And it's been pretty hilarious, really. I've been here. I've been here a few days. It's February. What is it? February the twenty third. And basically, they've got a bit of weather in LA and in California. And as a Brit coming over from a British winter, it's pretty funny seeing the reaction of the of the Americans to like a little bit of weather. Hashtag weather. Well, that was a pretty ferocious hailstorm. And I'm looking out the balcony and uh, people are fleeing. I don't think they're used to this kind of weather. Anyway, how's it going? My name's Matt Barr. You are listening to Look Inside His Action Sports Podcast. The show where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Like I said, I'm dialing in from California, Venice Beach to be precise. Um, I'm back from a few days in Ventura where I caught up with some friends and where I spent a really interesting few days at Patagonia HQ compiling a few episodes of type 2 and uh, finding out more about the whole recent earth is our only shareholder announcement that caused such a splash last year more on this later going to be releasing all that in the coming weeks um but yeah i've been on the road for a couple of weeks really i've been and uh, i was in the southwest of england last week i'm in california this week it's been quite busy it's been a lot of fun i've not had time to get an episode out so what i'm going to be doing this week is reposting an episode from the archive and this week i've decided to repost my interview with leo baker now we recorded this one over zoom in the febrile summer of 2020 it was the height of covid it was a month after george floyd and as such there's a definite time capsule feel to this one but the reason why i've decided to repost this um, as regular readers to my substack will know lookingsideways.substack.com I've been regularly exploring the topic of uh, the trans topic let's say over the last few months especially in the light of Bethany Hamilton weighing in on trans participation in female sport the other week after that I posted a few links on the newsletter and in response I received a reply from reader and listener Polly S a trans woman um, who basically was a little bit critical of my tone the way that was that was you know kind of addressing the debate which I completely took as uh, as a fair cop and uh, and as a a welcome bit of feedback and it made me realize that um it made me reevaluate the way I kind of addressed that topic and it also made me realize that the one thing missing from what is actually quite an often academic debate is the voice of actual trans people themselves Um, rather than people debating it as if it's some kind of abstract semantic exercise rather than something that has actual consequences for real people Um, so that's why I'm reposting my chat with Leo Baker today as you're going to hear we discussed Leo's lifelong search for their authentic self their struggle to accomplish this while also trying to balance a career as one of the world's most high profile skateboarders and how gaining the understanding and self-confidence required to finally present as their authentic self has been a long and involved process. It's involved learning to deal with the collateral damage and mental health issues that have accrued along the way and ultimately meant committing to a measured and long-term approach to self-care. It was a good one, this. Um, And since we recorded it, it's been brilliant to see Leo continue to succeed, both as a skateboarder and a musician, and most importantly, on their own terms. So... That's the reason why I decided to repost it. That's the reason why there's not a new episode. I did get my shit together, as you can hear, to record this um, intro 
um, from Venice Beach in a hailstorm. Definitely one of the more random places that I've recorded an intro. As you can tell, I've got a little bit of a blocked up nose because I've been, I think it's just like the travel flu, to be honest, get out the world's tiniest violin. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. I will be back at the end for a quick impromptu Californian HKC. But in the meantime, here's me and Leo once again. Enjoy. I think the obvious place to start is uh, Tony Hawk 2, <laughs> yeah. really, um, which which is like been announced what in the last two weeks. Um, yeah. Well, obviously, you, obviously you knew about it for longer, but um, yeah, right. it's kind of been the big the big announcement. So that is pretty amazing. So how are you feeling about that? I mean, I'm obviously in complete shock about it because I grew up playing that game like many of us in my generation regardless of if you skate or not it's like everybody played that game at least once so you know it's pretty amazing it's an amazing experience for me because you know like I played that game and by playing it by hearing the terminology Tony Hawk's pro skater that's like how I knew you could be a pro skater and then wow. I told my mom, like, I want to be a pro skater. So it's funny that it, it's, like, come full circle. And I was, like, texting with my mom. She's super excited about just the fact that I'm in that game. And, like, I was like, yeah, I guess I did it. <laughs> I guess I became a pro skater. And, and we both laughed because, I don't know, it's just a cute moment. Because my mom, obviously, it's, like, one of her most, I don't know, she's like, really loves that memory of me running in the house being, like, I want to be a pro skater. Right. And her How old just, were you when? How old was were you then? I think I was like eight years old or something. Wow. Okay. So yeah. Pre- yeah. Right. So that's your whole life. You've been kind of building towards this, this yeah. moment then. Yeah. So it's yeah. pretty. It's a pretty rad like benchmark for me and like everything I've been yeah working towards. You know. Is it is it one of those things with your mom like where I mean obviously she understands what you do in your career but you know. Is it one of those ones where she finally kind of gets how big it is? Do you know what I mean? Like where it's like almost the the thing where it's like, wow, okay, you have actually achieved something pretty. Because obviously Tony Hawk has that. And I mean, the game, obviously, it's so funny referring to the game rather than the person. But it does have that cultural standing, doesn't it? You know, like it is that big a deal. Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's um, It's cool because, you know, like, Obviously, when the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 came out, it's like the people, the roster of skaters in the games are like obvious legends, right? You know, so it's like, I feel like to some degree, it's like some like, uh, I don't know, like a like a a gold star or something of like, you made it this far or something. But um, yeah, I mean, you could see that when, um, you know, like. There was a get together last year, wasn't there? When like Jamie Thomas was there, and you know all the original, all the original guys that were in it, and the pride was evident. You know, like the the kind of like you know, it's it, it's a big deal. It means something, basically. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And the way they announced the game too, just like instead of being like eight new skaters, they were just like eight new legends, and I was like, wow, <laughs> like I just felt all like warm and fuzzy inside like I really made it or something (laughs) so when did when did you first get approached for it um had to be I would say like at least a year ago something like that because I had to go in and like like take all the photos and like do all the outfits and all that stuff and like 
I think it's been somewhere around a year. So it's been like a pretty well kept secret, you know, like nobody knew the game was coming, let alone yeah. the eight new skaters and all that stuff. But I think another thing too that's really special about it is the fact that it is a reboot of Tony Hawk one and two. So those were the two that I played when I was a kid. So yeah. and like, you know, when you're playing those games as a kid, you're like imagining yourself doing those tricks or like skating like you know what i mean it's like you're imagining yourself in the game and now that i can like i'm actually like seeing myself in the game it's like the biggest mind fuck because i'm just like wow i can't believe like this is happening like it's so surreal yeah so how did that feel i must have been really bizarre like to see yourself almost like you know you see yourself as a superhero or something you know what i mean like to to see yourself as that character must yeah, be a really, like 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 you said, surreal experience. Yeah, for sure. Well, I saw because they sh- the first time I saw the in-game like like footage, like demo or whatever of like me in the game, I was just like completely blown away. Like I can't even find words to describe like what it felt like to see myself like in a video game in the game that I played in those same levels that I was playing that I was imagining myself in. Now I'm in. Like I don't yeah. know. It's just. So many layers to it that make it, like, just really surreal. It's, like, a huge honor, a super humbling experience, for sure. Yeah, and obviously the first non-binary skater in the game's history as well, so that feels significant. You know, that, that feels like a real, like a, a real sort of benchmark for, the, for skateboarding. Absolutely, do, do you feel, yeah. Do you feel that? Yeah, for sure. I absolutely agree with that. Just because, um, well, going back to when I was a kid, obviously, I saw Alyssa Steamer in the very first game, which obviously is amazing. You know, that's like one of the coolest things ever. And so by seeing that when I was a kid, I realized there was like one other like girl skater. You know, like when I was that young, it was like, oh, I guess I'm a girl. So like, whatever. I was like, I really thought it was just me and Alyssa Steamer. (laughs) And we were the only two, like, girl skaters or, like, non-male skaters in the whole world. Like, that's really what I thought in my brain. So so that representation, obviously, was really important. And so fast forward 20 years, here we are, whatever. Um, And there's, like, the roster is super diverse. And so I, I often think about, like, you know, if I was to see someone like me in a video game when I was a kid, maybe my whole path wouldn't have been what it was you know like maybe I would have been able to like more freely express my gender at a much younger age or like have a coming of age like in my actual teen years instead of trying to live up to this industry standard of what like a woman quote-unquote woman skater should look like right so so yeah so I and and I've been getting a lot of like just like comments on Instagram and stuff just people being like this is a win for like all trans and like non-binary kids in the future who get to see themselves in this video game that's obviously has such a cultural impact already so so yeah it feels super important and very timely and just like yeah i'm i'm happy i like came out just like right before (laughs) you know the game was happening and like as the game was in the process of being made i actually told them about my name change and stuff so like sure I'm, like, like really dodged a bullet there. Because could you imagine, like, the game comes out and then I'm, like, oh, hi, I'm, like, I'm trans, so <laughs> I actually yeah, don't right. use that name anymore yeah. or whatever. <laughs> that would have been a, kind of a bummer. So I feel like yeah. it's all kind of perfect timing. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show what you, that, what you just said about Alyssa, like, the significance of this visibility, though, doesn't it? Because 
it's so important it's so for 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 kids to understand the alternatives that that are out there and that it's fine you know you know you just alluded to the facts which i'm sure we'll get to you know the the standards that you were kind of felt like you needed to conform to when you were younger um because you, because there was no visibility basically there was no there was no there's nothing to 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 hold yourself to it's just so important isn't it i yeah. guess my next question would be do you feel does it feel like we're at a wider tipping point right now you know you mentioned you know we just discussed that and then you mentioned the um the protests earlier mm-hmm. kind of feels there's some long buried reckonings happening right now you know there's conversations that are happening that have that are finally out in the open and that and you know it's it's obviously not going that smoothly a lot of the time but it's so necessary you know yeah do you feel do, do you feel like do you feel that, that, that that's a reality this wider tipping point um yeah for sure i mean obviously i know that like people have been protesting for queer liberation forever and yeah. black liberation and POC and all kinds of shit, right? The shit, these protests are like not new. This isn't new. But because social media is like literally all we have right now, especially during quarantine, um, yeah. It's kind of like this is what you get to look at or whatever. I don't know. It's like it's happening and like this is all that's happening. And like with police brutality and stuff, it's like obviously people are fed up. I mean, this shit's been going on for like decades and decades. Um, but yeah, so by being able to like, be visible and like have these conversations and kind of there's like nothing else to do right now except to like pay attention to the news yeah i don't know i feel like yeah there's still a long way to go and it feels disheartening a lot especially with like i mean in the in the u.s with fucking donald trump just like (laughs) shitting on everybody it's like it's i don't know man it's really yeah it's really fucked up it's a, you've got a perfect storm over there right now, haven't you? You know, you've got obviously the the situation with the virus and then, you know, the most divisive leader, I mean, maybe ever over there, really. It's it, it's definitely conflating all of these these issues, really. Yeah. So I guess from that perspective, it must feel challenging, really. Yeah, because it's like it's one thing. It's like super inspiring to like be with people and walk these marches and like walk them all for like all of us are hundreds of people there for the same reason right we care about like black lives black lives matter and like queer lives matter like um during pride like obviously pride was like supposed to be canceled this year but because of the protests going on the queer liberation march that happens every sunday of pride every year in new york was dedicated to black lives matter so like i was there with my partner and like some friends but the march went on it was just so many people. And like when you're in that space, it feels really safe. And like, it's really awesome when people are all coming together for something that's like really fucking important. And a lot of people are saying, you know, like pride this year was the most authentic it's been in a very long time because, you know, corporations have taken over and just like turned it into something that it's not, but pride started out as a protest. So like the fact that we were marching in protest of the police and police brutality was, I don't know, really moving and really inspiring. But then when we're, we all retreat back into our quarantine, it's just like, 
all you see on the news is like arrest the cops that killed Breonna Taylor, like say her name, say her name, say her. and like just I mean her and so many others, countless others, and like hearing about like lynchings that happened like yesterday and the day before and the day before. It's like the I don't know. It it's just like it feels like we're just trying to climb up a vertical wall or something. Like, it's just impossible to get it down. But, I mean, obviously, as a white person, I'm like, it's not my struggle. I'm just trying to support, and I just can't imagine what it must feel like to be in that position and to have been in that position for literally the last 400 years in this yeah. country. Yeah, I think, I think the kind of shocking thing as well has been to, has been to see the denial as well from people you know who are just flat out like there's no such thing as white privilege there's no <laughs> such thing as you know like, <sighs> the, the, like how how polarized it's become that's what's really i've said this on this podcast before i think that's what the last the last few weeks that's what's really shocked me like i i think my lazy assumption was that i just thought everybody knows that you know everybody accepts that situation everybody understands that such thing as systemic race, racism or or privilege and, and actually realizing that people not only don't even really get what it is, but when they kind of, they just are like, that's not true. And it's like, yeah, w- what are you talking like? How, you know, how can you even say that? So like it is very dispiriting, but at the same time, I guess the reason I brought it up as like a conversation thing, it does feel like the fact that these conversations are prolonged and so visible, it has to be a good thing because it, you know, it, I've spoken to some friends who have said it does feel a bit different. It does feel like it's it's not just been one of those occasions where there's been a an event that's kind of catalyzed it and then it's gone away again for a bit. You know, it's been quite a prolonged conversation. Yeah. And I do th- I do think with the election as well, it's not going to go anywhere, is it? Not for the next sort of no. five months. No. And like what I'm realizing too is like, I mean, obviously this is probably common knowledge to people who are like, have their finger on the pulse with politics and just, like, what's happening in the world. Um, But that just, like, protests, like, to make any real difference, like, it's like a marathon, not a sprint. You can't just go out and protest for one weekend. It's, like, days and days and months and, like, sometimes years of standing for something and, I don't know. So, so yeah, it's it's such a crazy time to be alive, I feel like. Um, But, I don't know. It's cool that there's community and people like fighting for something and that I can be a part of that and support as much as possible. You know, I don't want to like stand in the way and like be a fucking white person taking up too much space. I just want to like be there to support in any possible way that I can. So, yeah, well, that's been another theme, hasn't it? People sort of working out how to be an ally really and Mm -hmm. almost struggling with the, that concept of where to, where to be. You know, yeah, where, where, where to be an effective ally for sure and it's a, it's honestly you know it's like even as somebody like me who I'm always trying to voice that or like inspire people to like become allies or to learn how to be allies for like queer or trans people right but like I'm also in a position where like I need to learn how to be a good ally and yeah. so that's something I'm unpacking like every single day yeah well I think that's another thing isn't it that you realize it's a, it's a it's a life's work really you know there's, mm-hmm. you, you'll never you'll never learn enough you know because because there's always a situation that you, that you won't have experienced that you need to try and understand which is 
which again is is difficult i think you know and, and and you do have to work hard at that you do have to try and well do the work do the work to understand it really yeah yeah for sure and it's like i feel like sometimes i'm just barely scraping the surface you know it's like obviously i'm human we're all fucking human and i'll yeah hopefully doing our best and you know sometimes it i mean i don't know i just want to like keep keep at it consistently even if it means just like learning one thing a day or like remembering one thing a day or like donating to an organization like once a week or just just keeping the momentum as much as possible and like yeah i think that's just the best way that i know how to approach it at this point yeah yeah no i i I empathize with that it's kind of it kind of sounds like the way that i feel about it as well you know you net I think that's kind of that, that's 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 acceptable, isn't it? You know, just to try and keep learning, um, keep your mind open, and and also don't be too hard on yourself because it is a very yeah, it's emotional and it's difficult. It's hard work, so you know. Um, but I wanted to ask you about your year as well because mm-hmm. I, it's the pleasure and the pain, right? That's the film you've just released. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of really poignant lines in that. There's one line there's at the end where you say um, that this you, that it feels like this is the best year ever. You know, you yeah. feel like you, you've never felt more like yourself, mm-hmm. um, which is which is really great. So and and you know, is that because you feel more like yourself than you ever have? You feel more able to be yourself. Yeah. So you know. Okay. So like going back during competitions and just kind of like, I mean, it all sort of slowly came to a head over the last like maybe five years. It's like, well, I've no, I've known myself that I, that I'm a trans person since I was like 22. And so I'm 28. Right. So that's like six years of like knowing this thing and avoiding it or just trying to figure out how it's going to work in my career. But it's like, everyone knows me as Lacey Baker. And then like, if I'm not Lacey Baker, then who am I? Like, who's going to care or whatever. And so there was just, like, all this weight on on being Lacey Baker or, like, being myself, right? And so my world slowly started to fragment. And then I, I had a nickname with close friends where people would call me Lee. And then it, in skate spaces, whatever, it's Lacey. But a lot of that time, those worlds overlap, right? So then people are like, well, what what should I call you if it's, like, there's... You know, because they're like, I understand that hearing your dead name like doesn't feel good. And my friends don't want to make me feel that way. But then it's like if I'm in a space, they also are in a position where they're like trying to protect me and then use the pronouns that everyone knows I have so they don't out me. And so that went on for since 2013. I remember that's when I started using the nickname Lee. And so it just more and more and more like, I don't know, it was just really, really an uphill battle. And so it got to a point, you know, I, I really just like hit a wall with depression and like the amount of traveling I was doing was just like, I mean, cause traveling itself comes with a load of baggage for me as a person, like I, the name on my passport, the way people address me at the airport or at any public space, like whatever. So all that shit was just like really exhausting. And I was either like mentally preparing for like survival mode or like recovering from survival mode 
from being in skate spaces where I'm where then I have to be quote Lacey Baker. So yeah, I was, I was going to say because because you because you're also having to deal with that. Let's not forget the fact that you're in a very masculine culture that celebrates you know let's be honest one version well mm-hmm. a, 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 like a bi- binary identities like that you know the, yeah it, and that's and so that that is that that's must have been really really stressful yeah that was beyond words like I can't even describe what it, it's just like trauma you know what I mean it's like my nervous system just got blown out from constantly trying to navigate like who am I in what space and when am I going to have to be Lacey Baker again whatever so with all that being said about like a year ago I I got really depressed like bad like it was I had been sober for like almost a year and I got to the point where I was just like I can't fucking do this like I'm I have no tools I have like nothing to figure this shit out. And I was just like really hit my lowest depression that I've ever had. And so from that point, I, I don't know. It was just like, I got to pick myself up and figure it out. Meanwhile, it's like, oh, the skateboarding just got announced in the Olympics and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, oh my fucking God. So like the contests are more than ever. And it's just like, I feel like I'm just like banging my head into a wall. Anytime I go to a contest or just like knowing a contest is, I'm just like, dude, I don't know how I could fucking do this shit. So, yeah, because that's the environment, right? Where you, it's it's <laughs> it's right there. You know, yeah, like that's like can't. the worst one of of the whole bunch. Yeah. But um, so I took whatever. I was like, I need to find a therapist. I think I might need to get on meds. So I I just basically like I I was just like, all right, I'm fucking everything's canceled right now and I just need to like focus on my mental health and that was like a little over a year ago I started therapy last year in April same with psychiatrist I got a psychiatrist so I got on antidepressants and then I started meditating every single day I got a trainer um her name is Jessica Alexander and she's the best and she also is very trauma-informed just based on her experience and like So, like, when we met, I was like, oh, this person gets it. This person gets what I'm going through. Like, I not only want to skate and be the best that I could be, but I'm also really struggling with my mental health, like, really bad right now. And so she was the one who got me on my meditation and just, like, taking baby steps towards, like, mental health. And so I feel like I've I've climbed out of the hole of depression with a lot of tools that I didn't have before. And part of climbing out of that whole was I have to come out which obviously is like fucking scary um but yeah it was just like I'm gonna come out and I'm gonna just like be one person I'm not gonna be like Lee in this group of people and then Lacey over here like I'm just gonna be Leo I am trans I am non-binary and that is who I am and so by doing that it like a lot of the stress just sort of fell away and like the silver lining for me of like coronavirus and all this shit is like I'm not going I'm not getting on an airplane I'm not going to a contest anytime soon like I'm literally just like able to like be in therapy and like do my workouts and like skate and just unpack what it means for me to be a trans person so those are the tools that help you cope with it basically that you found meditation exercise and by the sounds of it a lot of honest self-reflection yeah, Which... absolutely. And, you know, if I had to rank the different tools I have in 
in order of effectiveness. I mean, they, they're all like pretty symbiotic together. They really helped me develop this foundation that I haven't had before. But therapy and my willingness to accept the help is like the number one thing that has really helped me break down some of those walls. And I've been working with my therapist for over a year, like I said, and like she's like one of the best people ever. Like another thing I do too is like every morning I get up and I like write like what I'm grateful for and what I'm looking forward to. Just like a short thing usually takes like three minutes or five minutes. And it's just like, it seems really, I don't know. Like the ground, the, the grounding rituals are, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? They're like, yeah, they're, it's like, they're, it they're needs like, to happen. It like yeah. really frames my, my, it puts my frame of mind in a place where I'm actively and intentionally appreciating stuff about yeah. like, Instead of just like, you know, because depression is a fucking something to be. It's just so bad sometimes. And so, you know, it's like this thing like depression is just like a cactus growing in the fucking desert. It's there. It's going to survive. Does it need anything? Right. My mental health is like a delicate garden that needs constant nurturing. And so that is it's just it, that's kind of the juxtaposition of it it's like yeah no I totally, depression I totally, is gonna be there <laughs> yeah you need to well you need to be proactive don't you like i think i think when people self-medicate and talking from experience you know like with booze or drugs or whatever it's it's just very reactive isn't it and you always pay the price like eventually you yeah you feel sure. like you you feel like you it feels like a release it feels like an escape at the time but then afterwards, it actually just contributes to the problem, doesn't it? Yeah, it, well, I actually, I got some, I got a really great perspective, like a great new perspective on drugs and alcohol in therapy because, you know, it's like my, in my frame of mind growing up, it was always so black and white. It's like, oh, I guess like I'm an addict, period, right? Like I'm always going to fall back into that if I don't like run away from it or something. I don't know, but... What my therapist helped me discover was that like actually drugs and alcohol is a way of a way of regulating your nervous system. And it, I think that was like one of the most pivotal like moments for me because it's like I am regulating my nervous system. I am like of course I'm like using drugs and alcohol to cope because I'm like constantly in survival mode and like it's exhausting yeah. on my nervous system. And the only way, the quickest, surest way to like ease that pain, even if it's for like a couple of hours is to like drink and do drugs if they're available, honestly. And like, and then it's like the next day, obviously you always feel like shit, but it's like, that's, I don't know. Like it, it became for me like, you know, because I would constantly just like go, 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 like never give myself a chance to rest or like reflect because I'm just like trying to keep my mind busy so I don't fall yeah. into whatever thinking about shit that sucks. Right. Um, and so my only way of slowing down was actually being hung over because then I like can't do anything. So I have to lay in bed all day. And that's obviously not a healthy thing. Right. But these are yeah, the but coping mechanisms I developed over these years of like being a trans person in the fucking closet and afraid to come out because like the world that I exist in does not have space for me. But I like whatever. Yeah, it's like it's a whole fucking thing. Well, that was the other line in in, in the film that I thought was really poignant. It, 
I wrote it down because it, you, you said all the things that people were celebrating about me weren't me. Yeah. And that I, I was like, fucking hell, that's, that, that's you know, like, because it's not like you weren't successful. You know, you were successful. Your career was was going very, very well. You know, you had a great profile. But to not be able to enjoy that because the things that were being celebrated in the culture weren't things you could identify with is a really horrible position to be in yeah and and a a real you know it's not it's not surprising to hear you describe the the way it's affected you and 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 the time it's taken you to get your head around that because because it is it is a really really unpleasant predicament to be in I think yeah well I could speak to that number one by saying that as a child, you know, like, I'm like, I'm getting my first sponsor, right? I'm 11 years old. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. I'm still dressing like a boy because at that time, like, I was like, quote, a tomboy, whatever. Like, that was, like, acceptable for the world. <laughs> so I'm a tomboy. I'm wearing baggy clothes. I'm just, like, dressing like a skater. And then just slowly, like, they're nudging me, like, just take this one pair of girl pants home. Like, you don't have to wear them. Just take them. And then, and then like, Fast forward and they're like, the higher ups here actually really need you to be in the girls clothes because technically you're in the girls program. Right. And but it's like slowly peeling parts of myself away that I'm like, okay, I guess I could do that. All right. I guess I could do this until I'm like, I've I'm living this identity that like I did not create. Right. These fucking people in this industry saw me as like a marketable skater when I grew up and they molded me into that without me even knowing and so then I'm like no sponsors no no anything when I reach that point I'm like I don't even know who the fuck I am (laughs) and so it was just like a really it just like reality hit you know and I was just like man I need to figure some shit out and so I had a really sort of tense phase of my life where I was like feeling really angry about shit just because I'm like I literally, like, lived your fucking dreams. Like, everyone else's dreams. Like, oh, I'm Lacey Baker, long hair, fucking skater girl. (laughs) And I'm just, I look back on old footage of me dressing, like, the way they wanted me to dress. And it's, like, cringy because I'm, like, that's not even close to who I am. And I didn't even get a chance to develop an identity. One was just created for me. So that was just, like such a bizarre experience to like reflect on it's like obviously I'm grateful because I'm like I really know what it feels like to be authentic and I'm grateful for that and I'm also like man like the binary and like patriarchy and all this shit that like rules our fucking worlds is so toxic for so many fucking people yeah well you just you know you've just described it in action haven't you yeah and and and, and described the effects on you and you know there's another layer to this which is it's skateboarding. It's supposed to be a subculture that's accepting of, of outcasts or like whatever, you know, like of difference of, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, it that's what skateboarding is supposed to be about. So to, to be, to be like put in a position where you're told, well, you need to conform or else you're not part of this subculture is, is again, is just a total head fuck of a contradiction, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, skateboarding has been failed in this, you know, mask of we're progressive, we're a progressive group, we're different, whatever. But it's actually like when it comes down to the industry, it's like, no, the industry is just a function of like capitalism and patriarchy, period. 
and the people that are running the show are like mostly white dudes who don't fucking get it and therefore there is like like when it comes to like who is successful like the diversity it just it, it's all like matches up with the imbalance of what's happening in at, in the world at large I would say or like mirrors it to some degree and so yeah I feel like at the point we are now it's like yeah there's a lot of space there's a lot of new opportunities happening people are opening up more and like accepting us but it's because we've been fighting the fight there yeah that shit was not good they weren't gonna just like sit there and be like oh you know what we should do now <laughs> <laughs> let's let's sponsor girl skaters for real you know what yeah. i mean like no like we have been pushing up against the industry for fucking years even before my generation like Kara Beth, mimi noop the alliance when they like yeah. they when they were fighting for um just equal prize pay at x games and they like they like initiated this boycott and so nobody's yeah. whatever like we've been this shit's been going on for years just like any De- other fucking protest decades yeah. yeah i mean when i spoke to Cara beth i actually couldn't believe some of the stories she was telling me because it it was just outrageous really and she was she was just really matter of fact about it she's just like well that's just how it was you know and it's a bit like fucking hell <laughs> you know like it's unbelievable um so do you feel like there's there's a change though generally you know obviously we've talked about the importance of of like the emblem of the Tony Hawk thing as, as like, like a symbolic change and stuff. But in, in wider skate culture, you know, there's a few indications that it's changing insofar as these things are being talked about more and more. And there's more spaces, as you said, does that, does that feel like a, a real thing? Do you, do you feel like it is changing? Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like it's changing because I mean, for so long I've been sort of at the forefront of that change. Yeah. Um, and so I can feel it and I can see it, but like it could easily just burn out if we burn out, if we stop fighting for it. It's like the only way the change is going to happen is if we continually push for it. And like it's going to be a slow burn, I would say, because I mean, that's just how it is everywhere. Anywhere you're trying to make change, it's like these systems are so embedded in us that like, you know even the smallest piece of change feels like a big deal because it's it's hard to get yeah but uh yeah it's nice to see it's nice to see where change has happened and like it's nice to know that like people are starting to listen at least in our industry at least in the skate industry you know i know obviously it's like this is one tiny piece of the world um but uh yeah it's uh it's a lot man yeah well it's you know like we say it's supposed to be progressive it's supposed to stand for this really so it is a good it is a good indicator i think of where we are like you say it is a metaphor for the way the conversation is going in the wider world because you know skateboarding has always been an outlier like that it's always it's always been ahead of the culture and then the culture's kind of caught up with it, hasn't it so mm-hmm. it, it is a really good indication um I guess that's one of the reasons you moved to New York then, because you, you obviously brought up in Southern California, or were you born in Southern California? Is that right? Yeah. But yeah. then was was the move to New York a, a way of getting more space, getting away from that kind of toxic center of the industry? Um, not exactly, honestly. I mean, by that point, you know, when I moved to New York, I was like the at 
in the time leading up to that, I didn't have sponsors. I didn't have like whatever financial support. I was like, I had quit. I had quit my job in July, but I was like doing freelance graphic design and really just trying to skate. And I think I was like 23 or 24 at this time. So I was just like, I remember I was just sitting at my desk being like, one day because I was really happy at my job. I was like, this has nothing to do with skating. What and, was the job? Um, I worked at I worked at a uh, light company doing graphic design. So I would like oh, do sweet. catalog layouts and like product photography promos and whatever so and it had nothing to do with skating and I told my boss because I was like yeah sometimes I travel to contests like once or twice a year and she was like that's fine but I was like don't can you like not tell anyone that like I skate because I just don't want people like fucking asking me questions about it and so she kept it like super low-key so I would like be gone for like weeks at a time and it was just like nobody was like really paying attention and then (laughs) uh when I won the x games in 2014 like obviously it's on like espn so like everybody in like the sales department they like watch sports right on the weekends and so i came back to work like that following monday and everybody was just like who the fuck are you like and i was like oh (laughs) god i'm like i've been exposed but uh no um but yeah anyway so eventually i was like dude I, i have to skate like i can't be working i can't be as much as i love the people here and working here it's like i should be skating so whatever, I quit my job and I was just like trying to figure out what like my next move was. And I had been working on that video part on Thrasher called My World. And uh, and I won that that super crown that year. So I think that's sort of what got people's attention after all those years of nobody paying attention or giving a fuck. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good, good calling card. You know, it's a good few things to to put you up there. Yeah, but... uh, I mean, I just I visited New York that summer and I just was like fell in love with it. So moving there just felt like the right thing to do. It wasn't really like I was escaping anything. I just like felt so alive being there, you know, like I spent like a month there in the summer, like right before SLS that in 2016. And I was just like, fucking this is like the best place in the world. So that was kind of why I moved there. Plus, like, yeah, in comparison to L.A., it's like I definitely wanted to get out of there because it's so isolated and like just so fucking boring like i don't know <laughs> like skating everything is so spread out so it's like just too much planning to get the least amount of fun in where like new york you're like you're outside and you're just like i'm having fun <laughs> like i'm yeah, in new york I, i'm fucking gonna get a coffee and go skate i can't stand the amount of driving you've got to do in california it's just it's just that it's maddening it's yeah. one of the, it's one of the things I, i'm just always you know i live in england so it's, it's for us it's like what you got to drive like three hours to like do something it's like yeah yeah i, I way prefer no. it when you can just walk around and cruise it you know mm-hmm. so you one of the things you've also talked about recently is um when you did come out and present as masculine that it did have, did have an effect on your career um you know like it did because you've described this arc you were on this you know like like the lacy arc if you like and then at the point that you decided to kind of show your true self, you've said that it did affect your career in the industry. So how, how did that um, manifest itself? What, just like sponsors dried up or like media? What, what did that yeah, look like? Yeah, I mean, that sort of coincided with the recession in 2008. So by like 2009, 2010, companies were like cutting their skate programs or just like straight up firing people, like, whatever, just because there wasn't, like, a lot of money in it. Um, So, like, 
you know, of course, like of of the bunch, right? If we're talking about like the patriarchy and like the systems that like rule our worlds, you know, obviously a, a fucking butchy boy looking dyke fucking skater like me with a shaved head isn't going to get a contract over the prettiest skater ever, right? Or what they perceive as that. So sort of, I just like, all, the sponsors went away and people were like, well, you could easily get like another board sponsor, whatever. And I was like trying to, I tried like a lot of different companies, like five, I think, like five different brands, like just reaching out being like, hey, like, I'd love to skate for you, blah, blah, blah. And just like no response, like nothing. And I was like, all right, sick. So this is where we're at. Cool. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, I think part of it had to do with presenting authentically. And like, I'm queer and people don't know what to do with that a lot of times, especially in like mainstream culture. So yeah, there just kind of wasn't anything there for a while. And that's like when I got my job and stuff. Right. But it was kind of a blessing in disguise, I would say, because I needed time to figure myself out. Like, I didn't have that time ever growing up. I was always, like, I had sponsors breathing down my neck. You got to dress like this. You got to look like this. You got to fucking wear this. Put this logo on. You have to wear the backwards hat. It's part of your brand. Like, I don't know. People were just, like... And so it's, like, it's really hard to decipher, like, what decisions I'm making and what decisions are being made for me. Yeah, right. Yeah. And what being forced upon you, basically, by expectation. And I guess, like you say, that breathing space meant that when Nike did come along, you were probably in a better position to understand what you wanted out of that relationship, right? Yeah, for sure. And that was what was really special about that is because, you know, when I got their attention, I guess you could say, like, I was, my head was fucking shaved and I was like, you know, like, I just, I bind my chest. I'm getting top surgery this year, but like, I wear a binder. So it's like, I, I don't look like a boy or I'm just like somewhere in the middle and for them to express interest in me when that is how I'm presenting myself it's like I know it's like it's a celebration of who I actually am not like what what ideas they have for me and how they're planning to like mold me into their like most marketable fucking skater they're just like we love you exactly as you are like we would love to support you and I'm like this is super rewarding and I'm really glad that, I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything, you know, like that experience and just like, you know, cause as invalidating as it was my whole life to be molded like that, to then have someone come along and like really embrace me for me. It's like that, that feeling, I don't know. I just feel like it's really special or something, you know? Yeah. Well, you can see it, you know, you can see with the, with, with what you're doing. You know, you can see that, that it's a partnership more than the classic kind of sponsor, skater, athlete, whatever role, where it's a bit like there's there's a role to fill. There's a box to tick, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, it feels different, for sure. Yeah. Um, which is why I kind of asked the question, really. Because I think, you, like you say, you do need to go through these experiences to understand what you actually want and, and who you are. And it's the same. it's the same for anybody, isn't it? you know yeah like it's 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 a part of you know we all go through that and it never ends as well you know Mm -hmm. like it's an ongoing thing so how are you feeling now I mean yeah I do feel like I mean obviously we didn't expect a pandemic to happen but you know I feel 
ex- like I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Like, and that feels super good. Like, I don't have to walk around trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be in what setting and who I'm around. Like, I can just fucking exist, period. And, like, that's amazing. And so, you know, by by reaching that level and then continuing to, like, meditate and, like, do gratitude lists and just, like, really appreciate life every day, it's, it's like... I don't know, man. It took a long time to get here, but I'm like really fucking happy. And I don't think it's gonna, un- it, I don't think it's gonna go backwards again. Like I was going in circles for a long time, just hitting the same wall because I like wasn't living my true authentic self, you know. And so now that I've reached this level, it's like it's not gonna go back. I'm, I can just go forward now. It's not like depression isn't gonna happen, but it's like as long as I continue on this path of like prioritizing my mental health and like being authentic, then I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> um, and I guess, I'm guessing the Olympic postponement is, is, is a, is a good thing, you know, cause it, it kind of, by the sounds of it, that's kind of probably the last thing you needed, right. To actually like have to, have to deal with the biggest profile skateboarding event in history. Uh, yeah you know you know what i mean like it, it so how are you feeling about that now because obviously they're saying it's going to happen next year but you mentioned the competition thing you mentioned the fact that that's a very particular environment where these issues came to the fore um and obviously really with you with your skating you've been concentrating on film parts and just skating really so mm-hmm. how are you feeling about that um i've just i'm it's on the back burner i don't really spend too much time thinking about it at this moment just because like it's something that has been very triggering for me in the past and I'm just focusing on now and like where when they when things start to pick back up again if they ever do I'm like I don't know what's gonna happen but yeah well there is that you know I'm just like I'll like revisit that thought down the road when I get there but for now I'm just like I'm skating I'm fucking meditating and like I'm eating healthy and I'm just that's it (laughs) yeah and i'm lucky you know i'm like in a really unique position to be able to just skate and like i'm just very grateful for that so like i don't want to get bogged down by like fucking adjacent skate adjacent shit that like i don't need to worry about like the olympics and competitions right now i'm like i can go outside and fucking skate and like yeah that's probably what i'm gonna do after we get off this call (laughs) because yeah and so yeah it's just I'm just like trying to be in the moment as much as I can. Yeah. Well, the other thing I wanted to ask you about was the New York Skate Project, mm-hmm. which is which is obviously something that you have been heavily involved. Well, it's your it's your thing, right? So, can you tell me tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. So, yeah. So, like when I moved to New York, you know, I was I obviously noticed right away like how vastly diverse the skate scene is in New York and in Brooklyn. Um, and I was inspired by Kristen Ebeling and, like, what she does at Skate Like a Girl, which is, like, an organization where they create space for, like, marginalized people to skate and, like, feel safe. Um, so I just kind of felt like New York deserved to have that and, like, I deserve to have that because yeah. I've been skating by myself my whole fucking life. Like, I'm typically just, like, a loner, which is fine. I'm not being all, like, oh, cry for me. But, like, it's just, like, my... It's, like, natural to who I am. So 
to then create a space where it's like, these are people that I can relate to on like multiple different levels. That's just what I wanted. I just wanted community. I wanted people who like get it, get what I feel, get what I'm going through. And like, it was a really beautiful thing the way it came to be. Cause I was like, yeah, like I just kind of want to start something, but I want it to be everyone's. It's like, anyone can have an idea. Like, it's like, I've, it's like creating something and then being like, okay, this is on the table for anybody to do anything they want with, if that makes sense. I know it's like kind of conceptual and like abstract, but like, it's not, I don't think of it as mine. I just think of it as like the community and we yeah, all like get to create, do stuff. A creative platform that people can do what, what they want with. Yeah. Which again yeah. is, is kind of the point of skateboarding, isn't it? You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. So you're going to go for a skate. Well, I'll let yeah. you go. I, I mean, think that, I'll uh, I mean, skate some flat for a bit. Looks like it might rain, but yeah. That, I mean, that was an hour. That flew by. Um, hey, yeah, Leo, thank you so much. That was really great. Yeah, yeah I'm glad um, we finally got to do this. So there you go. That was me and Leo Baker, and I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week with regular service when I'm back in Blighty. Um, and I've unpacked and I've got my shit together but yeah it's been a really interesting trip this one as I said at the top I've been over in California for a few days like I said I've been up in Ventura where I was catching up with people at Patagonia and notably my friend Alex Weller shout out to Alex who looked after me incredibly well and now I'm down here in LA for a couple of days where I'm going to be seeing some pals doing an interview maybe two I've tried to keep the schedule quite free though really Um, one of the things I'm really bad at is like totally over scheduling and um, I'm going to attempt to just enjoy being alone in a massive city like LA, really. So uh, I'm going to catch up with some old friends. I'm going to see Jamie Brissick for dinner tomorrow night. And maybe the Marshall Brothers, which I'm very much looking forward to over in Malibu. And I'm going to just try enjoying being a citizen of the world once again, which is nice, as you might imagine. So big thank you for checking out this rerun episode. And if you've got any comments or feedback, you can comment on the Substack page, which will accompany this episode. And if you're a paid subscriber, you can reach me directly in the Substack subscriber chat. And if you're wondering what the fuck Substack is, um, it is the new home for the Looking Sideways community, which you can find over at lookingsideways.substack.com. Yeah, that is the address. I just had to check. Um, and where you can sign up both as a free or paid subscriber. I mean, you can read it and listen to the podcast without doing either, to be honest. But signing up is a great way of supporting the show. And I'm really grateful to all my paid subscribers for the support. Once you sign up, I'd recommend installing the app. That means you get all the dispatches, the written interview stuff, the uh, the articles and the podcasts directly to the app. And uh, you can also like follow loads of other people. I recommend Jamie Curry, a Beach Grit writer who's got a brilliant page on Substack as well. But there's a lot of stuff on there and it is uh, algorithm and ad free. And I'm into it. It's good. Um, once you've signed up, I, I do three send outs a week really i've got my 10 things email every friday with the 10 things i think are worth sharing then every sunday i release an episode sometimes we rerun like this but usually the podcast and occasionally a special bonus episode for paid subscribers like the bonus episode 200 conversation with ed lee which only went out to paid subscribers of the week and then each tuesday um it's more of a written piece really either an article by me or a guest or an open thread which has been working well The open threads are basically where readers and listeners get the chance to ask questions of guests or me. And uh, this one, that I'm recording this to go out on Sunday, February the 26th at the time of speaking. I'm hoping on Tuesday, February the 28th, I believe that will be, um, to get 
finish there found a tom k on the open thread um so that listeners and readers who have heard our recent episode 201 conversation can ask tom follow-up questions um so yeah keep an eye out for that got any questions for tom you can whack him in there if he agrees to it he's not actually agreed but i'm sure he will um as usual paid subscribers can win prizes for the best question or comment um from my amazing partners yeah, the perks of the paid subscriber thing is going really well. I've got more coming. For example, I'm doing another live event with Chris Burkhard in London on March the 10th. Um, that is not open to the public, but I do have a number of tickets available to my paid subscribers for free, um, which I will be posting about when the time is right. Another event I'm doing, which I think is free, is at the Finisterre store in Brighton. It's a big CQ&A with uh, Chris Lewis and Demi, who've made that film. So if you're going to go to that, hopefully I'll see you there and you can say hello. All right, that's it. The hailstorm has stopped. The sun is out. I've got a great view of LA and Malibu. Um, I am going to get ready for dinner with a mate. And I'll see you next time. Nice one.